1: of the Run to Daylight podcast, take two on my attempt to work with T.J. Hernandez of 4 for 4 Fantasy on the Scott Fishbowl, SFB 480. My name is Todd Burrows. I'm your host, at Todd, T-O-D, from PA. Welcome to the show. We're hosted today, or should I say we're sponsored by FFCouchCoach.com. Go to FFCouchCoach.com to get the latest on Dynasty. And all kinds of great information as it relates to fantasy football. But today I am very glad to have a very special host who's agree- host, a uh, guest who's agreed to work with me. Um, I didn't figure out my microphone thing, so I'm a little off my game because I'm doing this through the phone. But TJ is a former full-time poker player who's been playing fantasy football for more than a decade. His background in poker statistics and analytics translates to success in both daily and season-long fantasy football. He is four-for-four footballs, one of the best sites on the, on the Internet for Fantasies associate editor. And he's co-host of the DFS MVP podcast with the cr- great Chris Rabon, one of the can't-miss podcasts each week during the NFL season. TJ, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, Todd, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on and excited to talk about uh, SFB 480, which is probably probably the best tournament run in, in the world right now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very excited. It's my first time doing it. I'm very excited to be part of it and to break down its unique scoring system with you. And it'll be interesting to see kind of my old school approach mixed with newfangled philosophies and your more data-driven information as we kind of get into this Um, you know I did want to kind of just for those who are in SFB 480 and those who aren't I just wanted to kind of give you a little background on it it started a few years ago Scott Fish um, he's the one who put this together and there are going to be 480 contestants this year And that is pretty special considering it's grown a lot. It was 320, I believe, last year. And the role of champions include such people as Mike Clay of Pro Football Focus, Bob Slaughter, a fan, Ty Miller, who uh, does his own podcast and is really smart, Uh, gentlemen I don't know, Ryan McKee and Derek Myers were the champions each of the last one of the last two years. And I will be trying to win it along with TJ this year. And we also want to help you, if you're in it, to do better. There's a lot of prizes, and I want to thank the sites who've donated prizes to the SFB. Uh, 4 for 4, TJ's site has put in a bunch of things, including up to 500 in cash prizes, hoodies, T-shirts, subscriptions, Scout Fantasy, Football Guys, Fantasy Alarm, DLF, Rotoviz, Gridiron Experts, and I can't go through all of them. PFF again is uh, a sponsor. So there's a lot of great prizes. I know we, uh, we'd like to get some of that uh, swag, wouldn't we, TJ? Yeah,
0: it'd
2: be nice. I, I made a a pretty good showing last year's and i got a got a few free subscriptions myself so it'd be nice to maybe this year stock up on some swag but this this tournament's been evolving this is my third year in it so i'm i'm going to be learning later right along with you guys uh the scoring and, and rosters have have been changing and evolving so it, it stays fresh and exciting
1: why don't you detail the changes from last year for those who might have been in it in the past or followed it. We'll go deeply into the scoring uh, a little bit later, but do you remember any changes that you could share with us that off the top of your head?
2: Yeah. I, if I remember correctly, the rosters stayed the same size. The, the major changes this year are that P, it went from full PPR to half PPR, excluding tight ends who are still full PPR. So it's a, uh, pseudo uh, Titan premium league. And then it's, it's been, I want to say it's always been uh, 0.25 points per rush. At least it was last year, but with the, the half PPR instead of full PPR this year, that'll come into effect even more.
1: Yeah. I think um, that is one of the more interesting facets of this. Um, Where are the rules? I'm going to pull them up. All right, so for those listening, there's going to be 480 teams, 320 analysts, and 160 fans, 40 leagues, divisions of 12 teams, 8 conferences, and this 22-round uh, draft, you start one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, the tight end, four flex, and you can flex a quarterback. Was that part of the rules last year?
2: Yeah, we had uh, the, the roster requirements were the same last year. It was, it was You could flex a quarterback and, and three flex positions, uh, but those two major scorings, I think those are the two big
1: differences this year. Gotcha. So no kickers or defense, no trading allowed, as you find in a lot of these uh, bigger tournaments to prevent collusion, and there is a $100 blind bidding waivers. Scoring is fractional, meaning four yards rushing equals port. points um i'm just going to kind of highlight some of the differences that you find over the average ppr league um you get one point for every 25 yard passing instead of 20 that's a small difference but something to be noted you do as tj mentioned get 0.25 points per rush attempt which is one of the biggest changes from your average fantasy league isn't that correct tj
2: uh, yeah, that's that's the major change right there. You hit the nail on the head. The the quarterback scoring, I mean, it varies between leagues. Uh, I've played in some with uh, one point for every twenty-five yards, one point for every twenty. So I, I don't think that'll have uh, as big as an impact as as other scoring rules, but uh, that's the major difference.
1: Gotcha. And as TJ mentioned, uh, point five point per reception is something that has changed and. I think you're going to start seeing TJ with the prep, the prevalence of wide receivers and how important they've become to fantasy. Do you think we're going to start seeing more leagues that are half a point f- for wide receivers and running back receptions?
2: Uh I mean I've seen some leagues go to it. Um I think I don't know if it's uh if the the wide receiver craze is going to to drive leagues to to change their scoring systems especially if the the major sites, just because people are so resistant to change, especially the fantasy football community, uh, I will see how things continue to shake out. I mean, obviously last year was was the running back apocalypse, so things were uh, even more magnified in terms of, of how valuable wide receivers are. But I, I think if we see any major change, it's going to be towards Superflex or two QB leagues rather than maybe like a scoring system change,
0: at I'm least for the major sites.
1: I'm not a big fan of two QB uh, leagues. I like this system where you can flex one in a bit. But my issue with um, – in, in any time I'm looking at, you know, the ultimate scoring, right, I'm looking for things where I can't find an easy advantage. And when you've got two quarterbacks starting and there's only 36 in the whole league in 22 rounds of draft um, – It's going to be very hard to get a quarterback off waiver, and it kind of pressures you to draft quarterbacks much earlier, don't you feel? Yeah, that –
2: there definitely is a little bit of pressure, especially if you're in a league where, where quarterbacks start uh, flying off the board early. So I think super flex is a little bit more fun, which makes this exciting. I mean, I, I made a joke on, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago that if you're in a super flex league where you can flex a kicker, would you rather start Goskowski or, or Teddy Bridgewater? But uh, at least with a super flex, there's some argument to be made for, for maybe getting a, a elite running back or wide receiver over a, a lower-tier quarterback uh, as opposed to where you're forced to start two quarterbacks.
1: In the scoring system, TJ, there's one thing that I didn't mention because it's not part of the scoring, either for good or for bad, and that's that there are no negative scoring for interceptions or fumbles. How does that affect your take on the quarterback position?
2: Uh, if, if you look at quarterback points per game from last year it had a really really big impact on quarterbacks that threw a lot of interceptions obviously so uh like last year uh, a guy like andrew luck who had a really high touchdown interception ratio or really low touchdown interception ratio uh he actually had the biggest plus minus among all quarterbacks in terms of fantasy points per game in this year's scoring system compared to a standard fantasy points per game. So just having uh, no interceptions and then adding the the points per rush would have boosted his points per game by almost five points. So that's a really, really big boost to these high volume guys. Uh, Even guys like Blake Bortles, even though he finished really high last year, his points per game go up really high. So uh, those guys that are relying on volume uh, and in turn throwing a lot of picks, they're they're really really going to shoot up the quarterback rankings.
1: Yep, and that's a, an important thing. In most of the MFL tens that I've done, you, you pretty much see the final kind of death of the running back at the top of the draft. Even mm-hmm. last year, you would see a lot of running backs taken top five, and it's very rare to see a running back taken top five. And if there is, it's only one. How does going to half a point per reception change if at all your feeling about those top five wide receivers and where they should be drafted in the beginning of a draft
2: sure so i one thing i don't think you can just look at the 0.5 ppr scoring in a vacuum you have to uh talk about it in context with the 0.25 uh points per rush because it does push the running back so far up but My general take, at least on the top, uh, I mean, whatever range you want to put it, top three wide receivers, top five wide receivers, I kind of look at it as the top three wide receivers, Antonio Brown, uh, Odell and Julio. I I think I'm still going to value them as the top guys in any draft just because of position predictability. Um, one thing that I always go back to is bus rates and J.J. Zacharyson, uh, I think last year on, on Number 5, wrote a really definitive piece on bus rates. Uh, if you look at that, those top wide receivers are still going to be more trustworthy. And uh, even though we saw running backs outscore uh, like the Antonio Brown last year, it's still hard to predict exactly where those points are going to come from, which running back is going to produce them. So, so the top wide receivers I'm still targeting besides uh, – uh, besides the the drops in uh, points from full PPR to half PPR.
1: Does the, uh, who do you in a full PPR rate the guys one, two, three, as you see them now? And how, if any, does the 0.5 change the way you view those top three guys?
2: Yeah, I I think um, Antonio Brown is going to be my top guy in pretty much any format, no matter what, just because of the volume Uh, he's, he's the, the perfect mix of, of of volume, upside, consistency, predictability, uh, and then after that, uh, I kind of flip flop between Aldo and Julio. Uh, in full PPR, I'm probably going to give Julio a little bit of a bump just because he's such a big volume guy in that offense. And then uh, in this format, I think it's kind of a two a two b uh, with the drop to half PPR. Those touchdowns are so unpredictable, but but those are my top three with Antonio, definitely being the one.
1: I, you know, I'm a giant fan, and I I think that I'm a pretty fair giant fan. If anything, I tend to, you know, because I don't want to show favoritism, I tend to sometimes go too far the other way. Um, But I really do think in his third year, Odell Beckham has still room to grow. And I've been very tempted with him at the top. I do have the 1-1 pick in the draft, and, And for honesty's sake, I am torn between a running back and a wide receiver. Uh, I know some people are going to take a quarterback, probably Cam Newton at 1-1. I have already kind of crossed that off my list. But I've got a a running back in mind, and I've got one or two wide receivers in my mind, and I don't think I'll make up my final decision until the last moment. Um, What are your thoughts on touchdowns? The, the, when you take a half a point, you know, and I, and I thought you made an excellent point, you do have to look at the uh, .5 as a total rather than as just in a vacuum. Um, how does touchdowns still being six points while receptions are down a little bit, how much more do you look for those guys who are going to get you touchdowns than in a standard PPR?
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, in in um, in any format, really. I, I want a guy that's going to have touchdown upside. But when you take away the full PPR, it does it does add uh, add a lot more value to the touchdowns. Uh, so, I mean, if if we look at the the top seven guys in, in from last year in terms of SFB 480 scoring, uh, seven of the top eight wide receivers were were double digit touchdown guys. Um, and then obviously we see some of the PPR guys push down a little bit, but that you get uh, like a, a Brandon Marshalls jumping over a Deandre Hopkins and an Odell Beckham last year, because he was a 14 touchdown guy. So uh, if you can can pinpoint a guy that's going to have huge red zone volume, he's going to be able to jump those, those traditional really high volume PPR guys um, like Deandre Hopkins from last year. So it's a balancing act and it, it depends how confident you are in your projections um, but those touchdowns are, are really important, especially at the receiver position where uh, where we're, we're dropping down a half PPR.
1: Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more. I think it bumps up guys in, the, in that next tier like Brandon Marshall and Mike Evans and mm-hmm. hurts a guy like Amari Cooper, who I, I do think he'll see more red zone work than he did last year, which isn't saying much because he hardly had any. Isn't that true?
2: Yeah, I mean,
1: if we're talking about
2: Amari uh, Cooper specifically, he just didn't get any looks inside the 10, very few looks inside the red zone. So uh, he's probably a, a really, really good example. Uh, I mean, for other reasons outside of, of touchdown, a guy like Jordan Matthews, who's been a, a big PPR guy, he's going to get pushed down. Um, but his concerns go go far beyond just being a, a PPR guy. Uh, but definitely uh, Amari gets Uh, A little bit of a a drop in value
1: Yeah, I don't want to go too far Down the rabbit hole as it relates To any one player in this pod But I agree with you I, I have a lot of question marks About those Philadelphia wide receivers I don't think from what I've seen So far, people are taking Into account enough the drop in pace That you're going to see Going from Chip Kelly to the new Regime And it, it, that You know, I, I just haven't found myself drafting much on that team. Ertz, if he falls maybe to the ninth or 10th, and Aguilar, you know, 14th, 15th round I've been taking him simply because at that point for starting wide receiver, I, I don't see how you pass on him. Um, do, do I have that pretty uh, much according to what your thoughts are on the Eagles, or do you still kind of value them a little bit more than I do?
2: Uh, No, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, the regime change, but I would say a guy like Ryan Matthews, who you can still get pretty cheap, who looks like he's going to be the lead running back, is a guy that I'm targeting in a lot of my drafts, especially if I'm going uh, wide receiver early and more of a a zero running back uh, approach. And then if you look at a a format like SFB 480, a guy that could be a 250 carry back, he's obviously going to be very, very valuable in this format.
1: Yeah, I, I own a good amount of uh, Matthews myself. Um, you know, he's one of the guys, you know, you don't end up in the fifth round of drafts when you're a lead running back unless there's questions. But my feeling is that he played much better last year than DeMarco Murray. Um, they still have a reasonable blocking line, and I I also love him at that uh, fourth, fifth, sixth round where you, you do find him. So we've been doing some mock drafts for SFB 480. Well, before I do that, I just want to see, I know you're pretty deep into analytics, and I'm sure you've crunched some numbers on the 480 scoring. Is there anything that I've missed that you think is worthy of bringing up?
2: Uh, I think we've covered it for the most part. I mean, just to reiterate, those these running backs are getting a huge boost uh, just because that 025 points per carry is so valuable uh i think that another thing that maybe we didn't touch on is is how important that could be uh for the rushing quarterbacks uh obviously someone like russell wilson or cam newton you could really consider taking them in the first round especially since uh since it's a super flex league uh but then even guys like tyrod taylor he would have finished as the qb7 and fantasy points per game last year in this particular format so Uh, I think the only thing we didn't touch on is those extra points uh, for the Russian quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, and that hasn't eluded me since you pointed it out when I asked you why you took one of the running quarterbacks in one of our drafts, Um, and I appreciated you sharing that with me because it was one that I had overlooked at first. Um, I hadn't put a lot of thought in yet, but I think even a guy, one guy that I, I find some value in is Alex Smith, who's a sneaky runner. He's also pretty consistent. He's a guy that I think is an interesting flex uh, quarterback or third quarterback um, because, he, you know, he he runs the ball more than most guys.
2: Yeah, and, and that that's a really good point. There's a lot of sneaky quarterbacks. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's another one that comes to mind that's like a sneaky Konami Code guy. Uh, but one other point, uh, point to the change in scoring system is don't forget that the the tight end PPR is going to have an impact on where you draft the guys. If looking at at John Paulson's projections on four for four with the SFB uh, 480 scoring system, uh, Rob Gronkowski projects to score uh, more than DeAndre Hopkins, so he basically is like a top five wide receiver in this scoring system. Uh Jordan Reed projects right there with Allen Robinson, so projects like a top ten receiver, and then we have Delaney Walker, Greg Olson, Kobe Fleener right in that uh Sammy Watkins Doug Baldwin range of scoring. So uh I think a lot of people might uh overlook that aspect to it, even though uh the scoring system obviously should favor those high volume tight ends, but uh there are so few high-volume tight ends That they should get a pretty good boost And I think a lot of people will forget that Especially because they're looking at that super flex And, and valuing that position They're not used to valuing so highly Overlooking the tight end because of it
1: Yeah, and I do think as long as you get starters And, and, and they're guaranteed starters at quarterback For that flex or, or your, even your third guy I think the opportunity cost uh, at tight end is something that people might not consider, and going with a you know I've done this in some MFL tens because I found that sometimes when you get to round eight through about round eleven I don't like the value on the wide receivers, and I'll I'll take Barnage as a second tight end at, at the end of the ninth or the beginning of the tenth round because I think you know in any flex system you gotta you, you gotta you know there's an opportunity cost if you take two or three good tight ends or you take two or three good quarterbacks you're also stressing the ability of the other franchises to keep up correct
0: yeah
2: i mean especially in this format like i like i talked about you're gonna have to do some very unique things and i mean one aspect that can't be overlooked is you're trying to beat 479 people so uh, you probably should have a, a roster that looks a little weird and do some things in the draft that are going to make you uncomfortable. And, and going back to to the projections, uh, assuming these projections held, if you started a Gronk and flexed a, a Jordan Reed, that's a better combo than A.J. Green and Alshon Jeffrey in the scoring system, assuming the projections are correct. So uh, there's definitely some room to do some, some very unique roster construction things in this uh, tournament.
1: Which leads me to my final point on the scoring. I want to give Scott Fish a tremendous amount of credit, not only for putting this whole thing together, but for coming up with a little bit of a brain teaser for us experts and people who've played fantasy a long time. I'm nowhere near the expert that you or some of the other guys in this are. But as we go through some of these things, I mean, this this makes me excited. You know, it, it, it one of the things I enjoy is trying to figure out what other people are going to do and, like you said, be a little bit contrarian and building your roster a little bit differently. So it'll be interesting to see. I can't, I'm can't. i going to be doing definitely a podcast when this draft starts. And, um, you know, I, I think this is an interesting enough subject that I could do podcasts on it all the way through the season. So that's something that's on my radar for anyone listening. Um, keep uh, keep an eye out because I think this is fascinating stuff. So we've been doing these uh, mock drafts, TJ. You've put a bunch of them together. What are your biggest takeaways from the mock draft so far?
2: Well, one thing that I think is going to show its face across all the drafts and we've already seen across just the few that I've ran is uh, no two drafts are going to be alike. So as much as you prepare and as much as you think you have your rankings in line, uh, a couple people – just going off the rails or doing something that you, you wouldn't expect is is really going to shake things up just because, like you, you talked about just now, there's so many different strategies that you can implement, and nobody really has this uh, format solved because we've never really seen this format before. But I think the thing to take away from the, the marked drafts uh, is you want to look at them individually, and you're not going to be able to necessarily – Uh, figure out exactly where players are going to go. Those, those ranges are going to fluctuate pretty wildly, especially with the quarterbacks and the tight ends, but uh, paying attention to how they're going. So what happens when those quarterback runs start, or if there's even a tight end run that starts, uh, you know, if you see, Uh, two or three guys take a a quarterback at the beginning uh, of a round, you can really see a huge quarterback run start. I mean, I've seen runs where there's 12 quarterbacks going off in 20 picks. So just paying attention to to the effects of of specific draft picks.
1: Yeah. And for someone like me who, uh, you know, guys who are at the beginning or the end of a round, we have the unique ability to kind of set the tone and we also kind of have the ability to get caught looking. In other words, if you get one of those 15 to 20 runs, um, it's very easy for your pick to come up where you have a need and you have horrible value choices, which is something I'm going to be on the lookout for. One of the things, TJ, that I've learned in fantasy football and from simulation football before it is it's always better to start a run than to finish one. And that's something that I'm going to be very mindful of when I pick, Um, having the ability to take back-to-back picks. You know, I don't know what position it might be, but I think sometimes you can get in people's heads. like, Like, for instance, if on the turn, you know, let's say, and he won't be there, but let's say Gronk's there at, uh, at the last pick of the second round and Jordan Reed's still there, too. You take both of those guys, and then one other person takes a tight end, and you can start a run. And that's something that I have, to, you know, sometimes I'll reach to try and start a run a little bit, get the guy that I want. And if you feel that the value coming up is in that position, So if you feel like, you know, eight of the next 15 best players on your board are quarterbacks and you take two of them, it could start a run with people taking less and less value. And then you come back up the next time and you can start another run taking, again, a a different position set and starting a run there. Um, What are your thoughts on that strategy?
2: Yeah, I, I, that's actually interesting you bring that up because this is something that I implemented last year because I was picking at the turn and uh, I think something that that you can do, like you said, to start a run, it it could work in your favor. So uh, imagine you're drafting at a, at a turn and um, you've you've generally had a strategy of maybe taking like your first quarterback in the fourth or fifth round and your your second quarterback in the seventh or eighth round. If if the seventh or eighth round is that sweet spot where a lot of people are taking their their second quarterback. Um, and, and you're going to end up in a situation where you might be uh, handcuffed to take a quarterback, say, maybe at the end of the eighth round if that run hasn't happened yet, uh, you can wait until the seventh round, not take a quarterback, uh, and then at that seven, eight turn, or eight, nine turn, if the run hasn't happened yet, you can just take two guys, like a, like a Dalton and a Romo or a Dalton and a Flacco, and then start that run. And even if there were, say, wide receivers or running backs that you were worried about missing on um, – By taking two quarterbacks there, if you start that run, some of that running back and wide receiver value is going to fall back to you even 22 picks later.
1: Yeah, and I I do think that one of the least talked about strategies in fantasy football is how to get into other people's head while you're drafting. I think doing things like that, I won't do it just to do it, but if I've got, let's say, Again, let's say I'm I'm picking round two and three, and I really didn't want to take quarterback that early, but a guy uh, in one of my mock drafts, Aaron Rodgers, was there at the end of the second round. I took a quarterback, and I didn't take my second one, but I could have. And, you know, let's say you get a a Rodgers and a Wilson. Now you've, you've opened up a weakness for yourself, and you've got to hope that the other people do it, but a lot of times, you know, it's not only about finding value yourself, but it can be something to consider to entice other people to not draft value and leave that value for you on your next pick. So I'm glad we kind of covered that um, what do you think is the most important thing people are missing from what you have heard and seen so far in the scoring system and the opportunity? We kind of covered that a little bit, but I had the question down, so I'm going to ask it.
2: Sure. Uh, I I think that the, the main thing people are missing is um, how valuable some of these quarterbacks are going to be uh, without the negative points for interception. I mentioned how far up it pushed a guy like Andrew Luck. Uh, you might consider him taking taking him uh, up there with, with the Russell Wilson or the Cam Newton because he still does get a little bit of of uh, rushing totals to his, his stat line. But he's a guy that throws a lot of interceptions. And then another thing I think uh, that I haven't seen so much just because there are some pretty sharp people drafting in these mocks, but uh, I have noticed a couple times is these running backs that are pass-catching specialists uh, they're getting pushed down pretty far. So guys that come to mind are guys like Danny Woodhead and, and Charles Sims, who are super valuable in a, a PPR league, but don't have a ton of of rushing volume. Uh, even if they do get those touchdowns, uh, a guy like Danny Woodhead falls pretty far down the ranks. If you look at projections, uh, him and Melvin Gordon are right next to each other. So I think we could see some of those pass-catching specialists get a little overdrafted just because people are used to valuing them so high in any type of league.
1: That's an interesting thing, also one I hadn't thought of. Um, you know, again, though, it could work the other way, depending on your draft and the people, you know, because, again, there's the overall and then there's your 12 guys, right? So, you know, you could be in a league where that's not, you know, where everyone ignores them because their PPR is cut in half, but you could get a value on a guy like a, a, a Varine or a Woodhead or a Bilal Powell, you know where you might find the guys like that who are in rounds 11, 12, 13 in MSL tens, fall in 15, 16th round where I think they're really good values.
2: Yeah, if people are, are privy to the changes, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna swing wildly uh, from draft to draft. But uh, it's kind of like the effect of of the late round quarterback right now. If if people realize that they are getting pushed down, then they're going to become really really good values, just like in a classic draft or an MFL 10 people realize that a late round quarterback is a good strategy. Well, now those uh, quarterbacks at the top are becoming even better values just because they're getting pushed down so far.
1: Yep. And one of the things about uh, the quarterback position in general and why they tend to get drafted later in MFL 10s is because their scoring seems to have the most stability from week to week versus even a wide receiver. And I think that second- and third-level quarterback who tends to, you know, put up one or two touchdowns and 200 yards on a bad week, that that's a pretty safe floor. And I think those guys are definitely going to go a lot earlier than they would in a normal league.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. It, it, even if you look at, at scoring from last year, I mean, Matt Ryan is down at, at quarterback uh, 26 in SFB scoring at 177 Points per game and then if you look at uh, at the overall scoring that still puts him up there with like the top 12 13 overall scores uh, uh, non quarterback scores so so 20 26 quarterbacks are still scoring like like top 10 uh, non quarterback position guys in this format
1: correct and and the, you know waiting for all your quarterbacks, that could be a strategy because I do think there's a much bigger drop-off in scoring at the wide receiver and running back position than there is. You know, I doubt that, you know, I didn't look at it like you probably have, but just intuitively I know the difference between the 15th and the 26th running back is probably a lot more than it is a quarterback.
2: Right. I mean, that, that quarterback scoring, uh, even even with the changes in scoring, they're all going to be uh, – pretty tightly packed together, except for those top guys like the the Cam and the Russell Wilson. So it's going to fluctuate on how people want to draft. Uh, I don't think there is uh, a preferred strategy. I just think that you you want to get two guys that you're going to be able to rely on. Uh, and like you said, compared to, to the other positions where there's probably going to be a, a pretty noticeable cliff after a certain point.
1: TJ, how does the 22-man rosters affect how you view this draft? and you're planning for it? Uh, if, we're,
2: if we're comparing it to more of a standard draft where I'm probably not going to uh, draft handcuffs, uh, for example, in this format, it's so deep that if you do spend an a early round pick on, I don't know, say a Latavius might push uh, push up a DeAndre Washington up a little bit more just because it's going to be so hard to get that waiver wire claim uh, in the season, since the rosters are so deep and the wave wire is going to be so thin, uh, but at the same time, it gives you a lot more room to to make some hail mary picks. Whereas if you're drafting in a 16 round draft and you can't really go after a third or fourth wide receiver who you think can ascend up the depth chart, uh, in this format you're gonna you're gonna get the chance to take the stabs with those guys. So adding a few more handcuffs than I usually would, maybe even if it's just one or two, where I almost have never I would never have a handcuff. Uh, And then just some really, really big Hail Mary plays that you're going to need to win a tournament of this size.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the handcuff. I'm 53. I've been playing fantasy since 1999. Like most guys who uh, do, you know, what you do and what I try and do, uh, you know, being in the industry is you've seen kind of everything that made me a successful fantasy player in the beginning is kind of gone by the wayside. And I've had Mm -hmm. to adjust. But I think the scoring here favors guys like me who are used to those kind of values. I think the scoring brings back a lot of the old school strategies.
2: Yeah, I mean, if if you're a guy, say you take uh, if you take Le'Veon in the first round, you're sitting in round 16, and, and you know that you still have six more rounds to to build up that roster depth. Um, a D'Angelo Williams is going to be way more valuable to you than someone like a Cole Beasley. Um, even if D'Angelo's sitting there getting zero, uh, the upside of having him on your roster and trying to take down this tournament is going to be very, very valuable to you.
1: Yep. And, you know, one of the things, though, that I tended to always hate was if I could get two guys that I liked, you know, about the same at the top, that stud running back. I would tend to go where there was still a, a, a guy you knew was the backup if I was going to handcuff. But I always hated guys like D'Angelo Williams where that, that the opportunity cost of having to take that handcuff, you end up taking less of a value. So you've really drafted two people for one spot, essentially, and if you're taking one in the first round and one in the 11th round just to make sure you get them versus taking someone who like uh, an Adrian Peterson with a Jarek McKinnon who tends to go five or six rounds later, that can be, a um, you know, uh, if I have a tie, I always tend to like to go where I can get my backup a little bit later.
2: Yeah, and again in this format with the uh... – with the super flex and with the premium tight end scoring, those positions are going to go a little bit earlier going to push down the, the price of those handcuffs and backups. So uh, you might even still be able to get them at a really nice discount.
1: The other thing that I think you brought up uh, and that I'll, you know, kind of build on a bit is with a 22 man roster. I think you've got to make a choice. I think you have to say, do I want to come out of this with my team intact and basically have room for one maybe two big waiver wire pickups during the year, where I kind of go all in and grab one big guy and spend you know ninety eight dollars and get a guy who's really going to make a difference and i i I think that the strategy that you laid out where you take more chances on big upside but guys you know rookies, people like that with who do have the upside, I think there's a, a risk in that in a 22-man league more than, say, in a normal league simply because if you're hit, you know, your your hit percentage, let's say it's 8%, 10% on a guy like that, if you throw away one or two roster spots, it's going to be really hard to get that back. So I I think that's an interesting dilemma that you still are going to have to figure out whether you want to take those risky guys or not. Yeah,
2: I mean it, it. It depends. Are you trying to win your division or are you trying to win the whole tournament? Um, if you're if you're trying to win your division, you're going with a really balanced approach and make sure you can roll out a really nice starting lineup week one. Uh, then then that's fine. But I want to take this thing down. I want to be one out of four eighty. So I'm probably going to go with some extreme measures, and and I might even come away with some really big holes in my roster. But at the same same time, if uh, in this format, if some great waiver wire pickup shows face week one, I'm not going to be scared to throw uh, 100% of my budget at that player.
1: Well, you know, and again, that's uh, two different interesting strategies. And I don't know that there's a right or a wrong to it. On one hand, if you make the playoffs, you know, you build a team to make the playoffs you're still going to have in a 22-man draft a a lot of variance, a lot of ability to have, you know, upside guys, maybe they're handcuffs versus, um, you know, just a a one-off. But you do have to get into that position where you can, you know, in other words, if you hit great on two or three guys late, but it takes you nine, ten weeks to do it and you don't make the playoffs, that, that's something else that you just have to consider, and I, I do think that uh, we've both raised interesting points on that.
2: Yeah, and uh, just kind of an aside, you just kind of reminded me of it when you said waiting nine or ten weeks. Uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, the playoffs start either week 11 or 12 in this week, so we're going to have some situations where you have to consider if some of your players are going to be available because of bye weeks when fantasy playoffs are starting. Uh, And I think there's a week 12 bye week this year, I think like Tennessee and someone else. Uh, So that's going to be an interesting little aside that I don't know if people are going to remember to take into account.
1: Yeah, that's a great tip. Thank you, TJ. Um, And you mentioned Tennessee. When we were talking quarterbacks, one of the more interesting guys to me, because he really didn't run much last year, but he certainly has the ability to do it is Marcus Mariota. Do you think he's going to run more this year? Uh,
2: they've, they've said through, uh, Malarkey that they're going to have more design runs for, uh, Mariotta. Uh, Malarkey has a history of being really bad at using his quarterback in the right way. So uh, I think we'll, we'll see if that happens. If you have a guy like Mariota who has the rushing ability, uh, I think it, it'd be foolish not to let him run a little bit. And obviously that should be accounted for in his price in this tournament where you're getting points for those rush attempts.
1: Yeah, I had him that week where he had like that 80-yard touchdown run and put up huge numbers in DFS. Um, I forget if that was the week he played the uh, Saints. I also had him. I know I had him the week that he played the Saints, and I kind of went back and forth with people who were hot on the Saints defense. I went the other way, and that was one of my better DFS weeks. So no defenses in this format, positive or negative, And if any, how does that kind of affect the way you look at the back end of the draft?
2: I I think given what Scott's trying to accomplish in this draft, that uh, to, to have these really deep flex positions and have all these, all these different uh, strategies, I think if we were to have a defense, you would have to um, add roster spots. I don't think you would want to do it and take away one of the flex positions. So, uh, I'm guessing that's one of the main main reasons behind it. And also um it is it is so deep and you are gonna be spending so much money when there is a waiver pickup to come around that I don't think you wanna be throwing out the, the three dollars, five dollars every week to stream a defense or something and, and then if you get stuck with the bad one, uh it would be it, it would kinda suck to end up Having a, a bad team because your your defense is bringing up the rear uh, when everyone else is is performing well, and obviously when you're when you have a rosters this deep and you're starting uh, eleven skill positions, uh, every single point is is really magnified and really important.
1: Yeah, I I think it was the right move not to have a defense. Uh, I I think that I like having kicker and defense in Fanduel. I consistently last year used that position to my advantage um, because most people don't consider it. And I know it was something that you and uh, and Chris talked, you know, a good bit about during your podcast last year. Um, one of the key things to do is identify the defenses that weren't great last year but are going to be great this year. Every year there are a few. And even though we're talking SFB 480, I wanted to kind of quickly get your thought. Last year I was big on the Broncos. I was getting them, you know, in that second tier of defenses. You know, I would never take a – like I I have no Denver shares this year. They're gone before I would take a defense. I've been more doing the Jaguars, the Vikings, and I like the the Falcons as a third defense in the 20th round. Who are your late defenses this year that you're kind of looking of that could possibly take that big jump and be – Maybe not Denver, but uh, and I'll throw out Buffalo too. I think they'll be better this year. Who who are your choices for those later defenses?
2: Uh, the one that stands out to me is Oakland. Uh, they already have Khalil Mack, who's been able to put pressure on the quarterback. Uh, they they bulked up their line even more. I think that they're going to be able to uh, to do a really good job at, at putting pressure on the cornerback. They've, they've, they've bulked up everywhere, but uh, quarterback pressure, sacks, that's what really converts into fantasy scoring for defense and special teams. So uh, that's where the fumbles come from. That's where the pick-sixes come from. And I think overall Raiders are just going to be in better game script situations and and their ability to uh, wreak havoc in, in the backfield is, is really going to show up uh, in the fantasy scoreboard this year.
1: Yeah, I think that's a team on the rise for sure. I don't, I don't know that that's any, uh, you know, hot take. But I, I think that team could even win the division this year if things go their way. I think that people in general are a little too down on Derek Carr. I know, you know, statistically there's still holes in his game. But for a second-year quarterback, he sure has shown some signs of being a good player.
2: Yeah, and there, I mean, Chris Raymond just wrote a really good article on how Raiders basically have the best, uh, best offensive line in the league this year if you look at, at PFF grades. Uh, so he's going to be protected very well. Whoever comes out of that uh, backfield as the lead running back is going to be in a really good situation. He obviously has really nice receiver weapons and Amari Cooper and Crabtree. And then Clive Walford's a guy that people aren't really talking about, but started ascending at the end of last year. So even if he regresses a little bit statistically, the team's going to be so good around him uh, that I think he's going to be uh, plenty viable, at least in a real football sense to be able to lead that team to uh, possibly a division title, like you mentioned.
1: Yeah, I, I I think it's definitely in the realm of possibility with the the changes in Denver. Uh they're still the favorite, I think for sure that the uh Chargers are going to be better than they were, but uh don't count out the the Raiders. I uh, I've never been a big Raider fan, but uh I do think that it it that that, you know, if if you were going to do a pick 'em pool where, you know, you kind of it was prorated by the number of wins. Like I do a pool like that. The Raiders are definitely on my radar as someone who could, uh, you know, sneak a a division. So with 22 men, the waiver wire is going to be thinner. How in the past has waivers kind of played out? And what kind of strategy would you advise for people when it comes to the waiver wire?
2: Again, like, like the draft, it's going to vary from uh, division to division. Uh, obviously, with the super flex uh, position and so many people rostering two or even three quarterbacks, if a, if a quarterback emerges, uh, then you're really going to have to spend up for that spot, whereas in a traditional league, uh, you still might be able to kind of uh, stream quarterback even with a, a, a blind bid waiver system. Uh, last year, a guy that that I got lucky with was um, uh, the quarterback from the from the Texans. I'm having a brain fart right now, and his, mind slipped, uh, his name slipped. Oh yeah,
1: the, the, but, uh, yeah Hoyer. I, now I Hoyer. am too. The guy who uh, was hurt uh, and Brian, then came back.
2: Brian Hoyer. I got lucky. Hoyer. With yep. Hoyer. But uh, just in general, compared to a a traditional format where waiver wire strategy does vary a bit. Some people uh, don't want to spend as much money early on. Some people save. Want to keep a, a little bit of money in their budget for streaming purposes, or or to wait on a player to emerge. Uh, in this format, the rosters are so deep and the waiver wire is so thin right off the bat that if a good value does emerge, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to be scared to drop 100% of my budget in week one. Uh, I'm I tend to uh, approach traditional leagues like that anyway because earlier in the year you're getting more bang for your buck you're getting to use that player for the whole season compared to if you pick up someone in week ten you're only getting six weeks of production out of them uh that's just magnified even more here uh, there just aren't that many players available so if 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 someone comes up you have to spend a lot and you have to spend it early
1: yeah I agree i think uh you know I'm considering that hundred dollars is a one time purchase that can really Move the needle for me, and that I've I've also used that strategy in, in fantasy football leagues. I find if I'm winning, I'm you know last year I got the, uh, Devonta Freeman in one league, and I spent a good bit of my coin on it, and you know that certainly was a, a well worth the purchase. Although he didn't do as much at the end of the year as he did in the beginning, um, and you know so that's a great strategy. So how do you like your bracket, and how do you like your draft spot? which spot are you in and uh, who's some of the key people that uh, the audience might know that you'll be going up against
2: well I don't think any division in this whole tournament is fun to be in every division is full of really really smart people and it's like it's such a, a buzzsaw to go through all these divisions and look at the names in them i I like mine I got I got pretty lucky I got teamed up with some of my uh, favorite Twitter folks. I got Nathan Powell, Ray Summerlin, uh, Ben Gretsch, all guys that I, I really interact with have worked at, uh, worked with at some point. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm drafting at, at 1.03 in my division, which is, it's fine to me because uh, j- just because of, of the players that I want to land on my team, those, those top three receivers I talked about earlier, uh, I'm excited about having the chance to land one of them. Uh, I I think an ideal position uh, from a safety standpoint is the middle of the round, just because so many crazy things can happen with, uh, especially with like a quarterback run or something that being stuck at you, you can't really get stuck watching, like you mentioned before. Uh, but at the same time, you, you have the, the chance to push the envelope, maybe if you take quarterback back to back, but uh, I think that you can end up seeing some, some really, really ugly runs happen and, and, it's not fun to see 12 quarterbacks, 15 quarterbacks go off the board when, when you're trying to get your second guy. So I think if I had an ideal spot, it would be in the middle, uh, just so I don't get stuck watching one of those runs. And, and I, think, uh, I think I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. 1.03 should be. I've had fun in the mocks at that position.
1: Yeah, and that, that's put us pretty close to each other because I have 1-1 and I've been drafting 1-1 or 1-2 in the mocks. I, you know, I haven't been taking the pl- the actual players that I like in those spots, more kind of using it as placeholders and see how the draft mm-hmm. kind of unfolds. Um, I, I think it's kind of silly to give all your best picks out. And I, I, you know, I'm always considering what other people are doing and other people are looking at me. Uh, When I'm doing a mock draft or an MFL 10, I hope people look at my MFL 10s and think that that's what I'm going to do because my strategy is going to be completely different from my MFL 10 strategy where I don't have to pick a starter each week. Um, But at the same time, I I will always throw in a couple guys that I really like, so you really have no idea what I'm going to do, but I've learned. Um, Do you approach mocks like that, or do you just tend to take the guys you like?
2: Yeah, I don't – I mean, I'm trying – especially in this format, I'm just trying to play around with a bunch of different strategies. I'm not so concerned with people knowing who I like or don't like. I mean, my work's out there, and my voice on Twitter is is I'm, – I'm pretty vocal if I really, really like a guy. Um, so I'm not too worried about people looking at my draft and, and maybe uh, taking too much information from that like I said, so many things are going to change in draft once we're live with this thing. And and so many uh, strategies are going to change and people are going to go in there with their, their set strategies, uh, trying to win this thing. So I I don't think about that too much. Um, This thing's going to be wild once it gets started. So
1: yeah. Ray Summerlin's uh, he's definitely one of the guys I respect, you know, right up there with you. He's, just a very very bright guy and I, I like listening to him and uh reading his stuff like i like reading yours he i've got kevin cole in my division he's the guy that i tremendously respect um i i we both kind of were in some mfl 10s last year and we both kind of got taken down by the running back apocalypse um i think that's a we're heading towards the end here Uh, We've covered most of the stuff I wanted to as it relates to um, SFB 480. Uh, I do have one other question, though, before we kind of just wrap it up with another question or two. Uh, What are the key drop-off points your research has uncovered talent-wise, and has it changed any of your strategies? Um, Do you see big dips anywhere where you say, boy, I really want to make sure I have X by this round?
2: Uh, I mean, if we're if we're just looking at, at uh, projections right now, kind of after the Frank Gord, Jeremy Hill uh, running back range, we see uh, a pretty big drop off uh, in running back talent. Before that, they're kind of grouped together, and then we start kind of getting into the Demarcos, uh, the Langfords, the the uh, Melvin Gordons, uh, and then wide receiver we have the, the tier of, of the top three guys. And then after that five to 15 or twenties kind of bunched together before we start really getting into tight ends, jumping those mid-tier uh, wide receivers. So kind of after that, that Marvin Jones, uh, Tyler Lockett range, we see a pretty big uh, drop off and wide receiver there. Uh, and then other than that, um, there's obviously the, the drop-off from the rushing quarterback to the non-rushing quarterback. So we see the Cam, the Russell Wilson, uh, Andrew Luck has some rushing upside. So we see, we see a little bit of a, a drop-off after them. I think those three guys are strong considerations at any point in the first two rounds. And then after that, there's a bit of a, a drop-off at the quarterback position. Uh, anywhere from quarterback like five or six all the way down to 20, you can make a point that in this format without interceptions that Anyone can really be a viable starter. You just want to make sure you get a couple of those guys. But those are the drop-offs that I've noticed so far. Obviously, I've only done a handful of mocks, and this thing can, can change wildly. So uh,
0: yep. those
2: are the, the few points that I've noticed. And then, uh, again, going back to those those pass-catching specialists, those guys really, really uh, fall off from like where they're borderline RB1s. Um, they're just not as valuable in this format.
1: No, they're not. Um, but at the same time, with, with, with injuries and you know, they 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 will have their weeks. But much like best ball wide receivers, you know, do you really want to be picking the week that Vereen's going to have five catches for 60 yards, and um, versus the weeks that he's not, because you could end up getting one of those weeks where he gets two carries for five yards and two catches for five yards, and um, and and it can drag your whole team down. Uh, I think that the the plotting guys like a Jeremy Hill or a Gore, they definitely have some added value. We didn't spend a ton of time on the running backs, but I do want to ask you if you were going to predict last year, I think Adrian Peterson was the only running back to get 300 carries. Obviously in this format, that's kind of a, a watermark that you'd like to be able to get for safety. Who who do you think is the best chance running backs to get that kind of workload this year?
2: Uh, I really like uh, Lamar Miller to finally get over that hump in in the volume uh in, in the volume column. I mean we've always seen him a, a little bit limited in Miami, uh, but it, it they they brought him in to be the main guy in Houston, um, and we know Bill O'Brien will use the running back heavily.
0: Uh,
2: I think even without a a, a super uh, positive or, or favorable game script. I think Todd Gurley is a guy that could break that 300 uh, attempt mark, and he's a guy that I've talked about as someone that I particularly like in traditional formats. But, again, in this volume-heavy format, uh, he's a guy that, that could really be pushed up the draft board. Uh, so I think those are two guys that could break that, that 300 rush mark uh, that we haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, I agree totally on Gurley. Um I I guess it doesn't, you know, I was going to leave this as a spoiler, but if I go running back at 1-1, it's going to be Todd Gurley. I think one of the things that people underestimate is just how consistent Jeff Fisher has given his lead back the ball throughout his career. Um, I don't think he's a great current NFL coach for a lot of those same reasons, but if you're looking for a guy, I mean, coming off an injury, missing a couple weeks early, he's still got, you know, like two th- uh, 13 games I think was 230 carries, uh, 10 touchdowns. And a- the other thing people aren't talking about is the fact that you do get a bump with these running backs the second year after a major injury, and this is his second year. I-, I know there are a lot of people who are going to disagree with me, and I probably will get some hate if I end up taking them first. But uh, to me, he he is the standout guy that I'm looking at at that number one pick. If I go running back,
2: yeah, I mean, if if there is one dark horse to get 300 carries, I think it's Jhi, just because uh, I don't think he's going to get much competition for touches in that backfield. Miami is going to have some more favorable spots uh, this year with Adam Gase running the offense, and Adam Gase has um, has shown the the ability to favor a running back if he has that clear talent. Uh, so if there is a, a guy that can rise up and get up to that that elite volume uh, range from the lower ranks, I think Ajay is a nice uh, mid to late round pick.
1: Gotcha. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go off the air in 38 seconds, but um, we can run over a little bit because when people listen into it afterwards, though, the, the it will it'll be there. So I don't want to just cut us short just because we're we're going to go off the live stream, uh, but we're almost done. So I, I do want to uh, thank you for joining me, TJ. It's been great having you. I really love everything that you do and the insight you brought to this podcast. Why don't you tell us some of your upcoming projects and where people can find you on the internet?
2: Sure. So uh, on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. Um, exclusively at four for four now so all my work will be either on four for four or uh through the dfs mvp podcast uh, chris and i have been working on some really interesting uh correlation work all off season so we have a lot of studies coming out on on dfs scoring where to find those points from um where you can find uh, high scoring players uh, I- exactly where those high scoring games are coming from uh very specific correlations that that Uh, maybe you haven't seen before, heard about before. So we're really excited to talk about that. We're going to be releasing uh, a ton of of DFS, uh, really overarching studies that that I think a lot of people are going to find very useful this year.
1: Yep. I was a subscriber to 4 for 4 last year. I definitely am cutting back this year, but if I buy any DFS content, it's probably going to be you guys and pro football focus. I both think you bring unique takes along with all the stuff that you would expect to find in a, you know, uh, other sites as well. Uh, I thank you again so much for doing it, for breaking down the Scott fishbowl for 80. Uh, maybe we'll be able to get you back on after the draft to kind of go over some trends. If you're free, if not, no worries. Um, I think it's going to take a miracle, TJ, for someone to actually win this whole thing, so I'm going to lead us out with an old white 70s song from the 70s by Jefferson Starship Miracles. Thank you so much for being a part of the Run to Daylight podcast.
2: Thanks for having me.